Welcome to the Salt Company Cedar Falls Podcast. We're a ministry of Candeo Church, and we are glad you're listening. How's everybody doing? My name is Elias Nissen. Um, I don't know if I've met a majority of you, but I, uh, I'm on staff here at Salt Company. I uh, have been for about a year and a half now, and uh, it's just been so great. So my wife and I, we went, both went to you and I, graduated in 2018. Go Cats. Yep, always love a, there we go. That's like, you know in the dome when they come out, right? Thank you. I worked on that for a while. Not for tonight, like just in the past. It's, it means it's game time when you hear that sound. Okay. Uh, no, so I was involved in Fellowship of Christian Athletes when I was in college, but went to, to church here, was involved. My wife and I were uh, connection group leaders on the community side. Uh, we co-lead with Aaron Coley, great guy. So um, yeah, we, uh, we have loved Salt Company. I uh, got in touch with Stephen Jones and a year and a half ago. I'm on staff here, and so it's been, it's been awesome. And uh, like I said, my wife and I, uh, we've been married for about four years. Um, so it's kind of like the, if you're a new guy on stage, you got to show a picture. So um, this is my wife, Katie, and our son, Beniah. Oh, it's so cute. It's not going to be up there. Um, never mind. Wow. Okay. That's okay. Uh, they're really cute, both of them. Um, Beniah, I was going to show you this picture of him. He's got like this cute like shark shirt on and he's like getting this growl and he, he looks like the sharks on his shirt it's incredible so it's actually on, you can see it on my phone background there it is there we go oh uh, yeah thanks for humoring me okay <laughs> so uh tonight we're going to be in luke 14 um and we're going to be uh just diving into the the parable of the great banquet uh but before we get into that I want to share a story about a time that my wife Katie and I uh, found ourselves in a, uh, a situation that uh, we, we just really had no, no business in. Like, we were in the wrong place that we, like, were not supposed to be there. So we went down to uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama, and made a little, like, day trip over to Pensacola. Some friends of ours had told us that there was uh, this awesome Air Force base uh, that had a museum on it, and so... We're like, awesome, we're looking for something to do, we'll check it out. So they sent, they had gone a couple weeks prior, so they sent us the address, and so we plug it in, and we start heading over there, and I'm like, uh, again, I think I made an office reference a couple weeks ago in the announcements, I'm going to do it again. Uh, I'm like Michael Scott, following the GPS, like, into the lake, okay? I didn't drive into a lake, uh, and I didn't drive into an ocean, but this could have been worse, honestly, than both of those situations, so... We're, we're driving, and it's like, take a left on your next stop sign. I'm like, all right, sweet. You know, just trusting that they sent me the address. Like, they had been there, so, you know, they probably sent me the right address. So I don't know if, like, Apple has changed the navigation since, because they could really get some people into some sticky situations, because we start driving, and I'm just kind of blindly following the directions, and there's a sign that says, do not enter. Just keep driving. We are visibly, like, getting closer to this, this uh, Air Force base. And I'm like, well, you know, this is the location they said they came here a couple weeks ago. Get to pass another sign says, do not enter, restricted zone. Okay, okay, well, I, actually I might be in the wrong spot at this point, but there's a median in my way. And I'm like, I can't turn around. I don't know what to do. Do I just back up? 
and I get to this point that's like, authorized personnel only, turn around, like, you're, and I'm like, just trying to whip a view either, you can see, like, guards in the near distance, and we were like, we had no business being there, right? There was visible signs, like, the, the signs affirmed that, and, and we, we shouldn't have been there, right? And so we, like, whip around, get out of there, all was good. Uh, thought we were going to do, like, some prison time for trying to break into a, I think it was an Air Force base. I don't know if it was the Air Force or Naval. It was a great museum. You should check it out if you're there. Uh, but <laughs> make sure you know the exact address of the museum, not the actual Naval base. This was, um, could have been bad. Anyway, so we like had no business being there, right? Um, tonight, we're going we're gonna to see a story of two groups of people who were invited into a banquet. One of them, uh, the, the group of people rejected that invite. The second group invited had no business being there. Yet unlike Katie and I who were just driving blindly into this place that we really shouldn't have been there, this group had no business being there, but they were right where they were supposed to be. There was no sign redirecting them. So for some context surrounding this parable, uh, at the time that Jesus gives this parable, he, uh, he's at a, a leading Pharisee's house with uh, other uh, Pharisees and Jewish lawyers who they're very skeptical of him already and they're trying to kind of catch him in something. He's going to say something wrong so that they can just discount his teaching altogether. And while he's dying there, he has something to say that really doesn't make any more friends than he already has at this point. And he kind of gives them a, a lesson in humility in chapter 14, verses 7 through 11. He gives them this like heater one-liner, right? It's in a he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And, like, the Pharisees should have written that down, like, applied that to their life, you know, taking that as, like, man, that's a great, that's a great one-liner. I'm going to change my life. But they act as if they didn't hear it, right? He then rolls it right into a statement that would have been nonsense to the elite listening these men of great power and high reputation for their religious adherence to the law, their political prominence. He tells them, hey, every time you have like a banquet or a dinner, don't invite your rich friends and the people who can repay you and those who are going to be a benefit to you. He says instead, invite the opposite. He says, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Invite people in your community that are the outcasts, the lowly nothings of the society. And that's what those people would have been seen as. They would have been unable to contribute to society and even in some cases seen as like dirty and religiously unclean. And Jesus says to invite them. Be a blessing to the ones that can't repay you. Jesus implies, hey, you guys consider yourself pretty religious. Like try, try this out. Like, care more for those in need than you do for your own personal gain. He says this in verse 13 be up there. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Stephen talked a couple weeks ago uh, about being rich towards God. And like, here's, here's one example right off the bat, right? Like, care for those who are the out, outcasts in the, the, in the outskirts. Like, don't look to uh, invest in relationships just to be repaid here in this, in this life. So invest in like the internal things. And he says, uh, he says to invest in the eternal things. And this is where our text picks up for the night. 
Luke chapter 14, we'll be in verse 15. It says, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So it's like a true statement, right? Um, but you can almost, like if, if you read the, the verses around, you can kind of see the, uh, this like uncomfortable situation as you read it. Like as if he quickly tries to change the subject to like lighten the mood, get, like, get the topic off of what Jesus had just said. Like he just kind of like rebukes them in a way. Like they're literally at this dinner with all rich, high class, prominent, powerful men. And Jesus says, hey, next time you have one of these, Maybe, like, invite people not out of selfish ambition, like, and as if uh, to make a statement of redirection, the man at the table says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Like, they probably got some amens, like, it was kind of a, probably a cliche statement, and it's true, right? It's a true statement, but a misguided assumption on their part. When Jesus previously stated that you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just, this man at the table assumed himself and the other men around him, these Pharisees, these leaders of the law, they, they considered themselves to be qualified as the just or the righteous. And Jesus replies with a parable. So uh, there's some important, par- and some important details on this parable. Uh, it's a story, it's giving an illustration to the situation that like this encounter they've just had. But it's also, so it, like it is, allegory in one sense, but it's also uh, pointing to a future banquet that will take place. This messianic banquet that we see at the end of Revelation, right, like the, the, the banquet supper of the Lamb, where when Jesus comes back and he, he gathers his redeemed and they, they celebrate the, the great work that he's done, right? That's what this is pointing to. This real banquet of heaven is what the men at the table would have had in mind. Like there was, it was written later on the, in the New Testament in Revelation 19. It was written, written hundreds of years previously in the book of Isaiah. So this isn't an isolated incident. So that's kind of what we have in mind here when we read about this banquet. So as we look at this parable, we're going to see an invitation. We're going to see excuses and a rejection. We're going to see an unexpected inclusion. And we're going to see an unexpected exclusion. <laughs> So let's keep reading in verse 16. What he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So we see the invitation, right? We see here's like a, like a double invitation. Like this would have been something that's common at the time. 
Um, you know, there wasn't like clocks and stuff. So you would, you would invite a great multitude. So there's kind of two key words there at the beginning. There's many and there is a great banquet. So it's a big banquet with a lot of people invited. Uh, the first inv- invitation was to many. This would have been a great honor. Like you would, you would come unless you had a really good excuse. Uh, and with a banquet this size, we could conclude that the, the host was probably a very wealthy, prominent man. He was powerful and had some uh, success and, and power in his city. Uh, and, and the people, the, the Pharisees who were listening, they would, have, they would have known like it was a big deal. Like the, the, the host prepared sufficient food. He slaughtered the right amount of animals. He bought enough wine for, and his servants prepared the feast. This would be like a great act of generosity to like just have this great feast and invite people into it. But at the same time, like Jesus uh, pointed to and he alluded to, he said there's almost this, uh, this element of where it was expected to be repaid in some sense. There was an expectation that it would be re- reciprocated in some form. So like I said, there's no accurate clock, so there was no time. Like, hey, it's 7 o'clock, Friday night, we're having this big banquet. Like there would be a, one invite that would go out and then there would be the servant or the messenger would go out and say, the banquet is ready. It's, it's been prepared. So in anticipation, you would be waiting for that day to come and the banquet to be prepared. To have some people accept the first invitation like would have been normal, but to have all of them reject the second would have been so abnormal. This was a clear act of intentional humiliation and dishonor to the host. The scriptures say that they all alike began to make excuses. So let's look at these excuses a little further. Uh, the excuses they gave, like, they're, they're pretty worthless, really. I mean, honestly, they're, they're no good. They could have come up with something better. Um, the first one being the landowner. He comes to him and he's like, hey, I, I uh, bought a piece of land. Got to go look at it. Am I good? Like, I don't need to come. Uh, like, so he cares about his investments, right? Like, that's, that's a good excuse. But, like, even, even in sometimes when you think of the cultural context that you might read into it, like, what is this one? Like, this, there's not much that's going to, like, confuse this one. Like, the, the land's going to be there tomorrow. Besides the fact that you, you already bought it, so I don't know why you bought a piece of land and didn't look at it in the first place, and it's that urgent that you're going to miss the banquet. And so, I mean, this guy probably has bigger issues of, like, wisdom and handling his time and assets that you should figure out, but it's like, nevertheless, it's just not a good excuse. Next is the farmer. He's like, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I like how the CSB says it. They're like, I got to try them out. It's like, I don't know where you buy your oxen, but I bet they work, you know, like, and if not, you could probably get a refund. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Um, the oxen breeder. Uh, but it also, besides the fact of like just the silliness of, I gotta, I gotta try them out. He was already bought them, kind of like the landowner. And five yoke of oxen was actually, I mean, you were a wealthy man if you had five oxen. Like the average, I looked it up, like the average uh, middle to large farm could have been easily handled with two to three. So like, he's like exceeding that. I bet he could have somebody go see if they work for him. And, and so it's just like, again, a pretty useless excuse. So it comes to the third, the married man, and he says, I'm, I'm married. 
Like, I don't know. Is that it? Like, that's, that's your whole excuse? Like, some, so some commentators might, they point that, uh, you know, that he's maybe alluding to some law, law in the Torah and Deuteronomy that, like, it uh, excluded or excused men from military service because, uh, you know, they just started this family so they don't have to go over into, like, the battle or anything like that, which that might be true, but, like, nevertheless, like, a banquet is much different than war, so Buddy stretched it quite a bit. Um, just, once again, not a good excuse. Like, bring, bring your new wife to the banquet. It's probably, like, a once-in-a-lifetime banquet. You know, it's, it's a big deal. So either this guy, he's trying to get out of the banquet because he thinks he has a legitimate excuse, or, like, he's got a real ball-and-chain view of marriage. He's like, I can't do anything. Now I'm married. Like, I just, this is it. Uh, or this is like a very willful rejection of the invitation and the one who's inviting him. And I think it's the latter. Uh, and the interesting thing about all three of these excuses, like, all three of them are good gifts. Like, they're all good things that he uses, that they all use as excuses. And we think of them in the context of the greater meaning of this passage being the banquet beginning means that the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? When we reflect on our own lives and our own situations, it seems silly to reject the banquet just to keep earthly gifts. And if you think about it this way, if, uh, if a father is in the military and he uh, gets deployed for active duty overseas and he uh, has to leave his family behind, has, has a few, few young kids, and has to go over into some foreign country. And so uh, to try to keep some tie, he, like, sends gifts to him every couple months and writes a letter and lets him know he's okay and he's safe and, you know, how much he loves them, can't wait to see him. And he sends that over to kind of keep that tie with his children. His children are, you know, back in the States, and they love the gifts, and it's like these souvenirs from back home and toys, and, you know, they're, they're enjoying them. They love to, to play with them. They love to get the, the letter from their father and, and read his words. It's like they get a little, a little piece of him, right, to, to kind of ease the distance of that, that separation that they have. Now, imagine a year and a half in or whatever, he, gets, he comes a little bit early, and like those videos you see on Facebook or YouTube where, they, like, come home early, early, and it's a surprise, and they roll in. I love those, like, instant tearjerker. Um, imagine a teacher comes in, and they're at school, and they're like, hey, little Jimmy, like, your dad's here, like, surprise. And Jimmy's over there like, oh. But if he comes back, like, the gifts stop. And honestly, like, the gifts are pretty great. Like, I enjoy them. Like, they make great gifts over in Germany or wherever he's at, you know, and he's like, oh, and if I really think about it, I'm actually using it right now, so we can catch up later, like, like, that would just be, like, silly, right? Like, it would, the, the child would drop the toy, forget it, and run to the father, run to the gift giver. I think so often we find our hearts in the same place. We focus more on the gifts than the gift giver. And for these three individuals, all of, all of the people initially invited declined the offer and rejected it. But we get three individuals that are put as an example. We see them. Their excuses weren't legitimate. It didn't reveal that they had a, le- a real reason to not be there. It revealed that they were 
They didn't want to be there. They were willfully rejecting the host. So what about our excuses? What excuses do we make? Or what, more directly, you know, we know that Jesus, like, died for our sins, rose from the grave, appeared to many, and commissioned the believers to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, ascended to heaven, and, and promised that he would come back. Like, that's, as Christians, we know that that's a reality, that's a, it's a cornerstone of our faith, right? That he's, he's coming back, like, he's not done yet. It, and much like the Pharisees who, at the table who had like a, a saying, a catchy saying, that is true, but do we truly cling to the hope of the truth? Like when life gets crazy and, you know, the society kind of gets out of hand or whatever it is, or your, your struggles that you're feeling in life kind of start to bog down on you, we say things like, uh, like, wow, Jesus, come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. Or like, Maybe this is the more like great grandma version, but like hasten the day. Like, I don't know. We say things like, man, the, but Jesus is coming back. Like, whew, things are tough, right? But like at least with our words, we long for the day of the Lord to come back. But how much do we really long for that? What excuses do we make, right? And if we think about it honestly, if, if Christ came back today, harder question, like would you want him to? What cares of the world take precedence in your life? What good gifts would you be gripping to if the Lord came back today? Or perhaps more piercing to the condition of our heart, what do you love and prioritize, prioritize so much in life that the return of our Savior would be an inconvenience to you? Investments in material things they're, they, they're good things. They're going to be good things. Perhaps you've got big plans for your life. I know this is a convicting thing as I've read through this, right? You want to see things come to fruition. Maybe you value your education so much. You have, like, walking across the stage. If you didn't get to do that, like, that would be a huge letdown. Or maybe it's material things, like the life and uh, an American dream that you have of having, uh, you know, a home and, and a nice car and, accumulating the, the equivalent of five yoke of oxen, right? The nice things and comforts of, and success of the fruit of your hands that you just want to savor a little bit more. Or it's relationships. What if you don't have the chance to marry? What if you don't have a chance to have kids? Immediately following the passage, Jesus says some hard words when he calls us to leave behind father, mother, brother, and sister, even your own life to follow him if necessary, to like lay down your life, to take up your cross and follow him. It's a, it's a, he says to count the cost, right? So what excuses do you offer up? What would be the thing that you love and value so much in life that the return of King Jesus would be an inconvenience? Now let's look at the attendance of the banquet. So we've looked at the invitation, the excuses we make. Now we look at the unexpected inclusion. So to the Pharisees, the, those who were included, right, when, when they all, they're, they're listening to the story and, and everybody turns down the offer and that's like wild to them in the first place. But then also like those who were included next would have been just 
backwards in nature to them. These are the people who Jesus commanded the Pharisees to invite to their dinner. Those who cannot repay. They're unable to, to get an invite, unable to do anything to make that invite beneficial to the one who invited them. Simply for the joy of having them. They've been invited and they're, they're present to enjoy the banquet that's been prepared. You see, the, the Pharisees considered themselves worthy of the banquet. The people who were sitting there listening to Jesus, according to them, in the kingdom of God, they were those who had the seed of honor. They were those who thought they had followed God's law and the Ten Commandments without fail. They thought they you know, had, had done enough and had enough merit, and they followed the regulations. They even added some to, to add to their piety. They were the holy men who would certainly be at, the, at the, the banquet feast of the kingdom of God, right? They would eat the bread. They were those who relied on the promises of Abraham and uh, pointed to him and their adherence of the law as their hope and assurance that they would be there. So the first group that we see is invited into this banquet is the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. These are those who are the, the humble exalted, Right, like those who humble themselves will be exalted. They, they realize and they knew that they're undeserving and broken. But they see the genuine invitation. The ones who, in humble submission, know they have nothing to bring and everything to gain. Like as the old hymn, Rock of Ages, puts this, came to my mind, I was thinking about this, is, it's like, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Nothing else do we bring. Where the, the Pharisees thought, Look at everything I've got, you know. I've memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. I've, you know, done all these things, and I wear the, the, the robes of honor, and I sit at the seat of honor. I'm honored in this life. I must be honored in the next. I'll eat the bread. In Mark 2, 16 through 18, we read this, another encounter that Jesus has with the scribes and the Pharisees. It says, And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees at the table of Jesus presumed that they were the righteous, in verse 14 and 15 of our chapter. They did not consider themselves the sick that needed a physician. And because of that, they rejected the invitation, and they missed that banquet. Verse 22, there's yet room left. So we see the next group, the next group who's the unexpected inclusion. They go to the highways and the hedges. So in one sense, this is pointing to uh, the Gentiles. Like, like Paul says, the gospel came first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Like these are those who, the people that would be least accepted by the Jewish people. Um, they were kind of like those in the outskirts. They weren't like of the, the, the election. They weren't the... Um, those in the promises, they didn't have a place in this. So that would have been like crazy. And, and that, that's a, that is one element of this. Um, we don't have a ton of time to break down the distinction tonight. But what we do see here is that the invitation no longer has stipulation tied to it. There's no condition. The banquet is open to all people. And this, in the greater view of the banquet to come, like we read we we're going to read in, in Isaiah and Revelation is an invitation to us all. It says in verse 23, compel them to come in. 
what would they need compelled to do? Right? Like, this isn't like a fear of missing out. Like, guys, I know you're in the outskirts. Like, this can be a great party. You're not going to want to miss it. It's gonna, this rich guy's inviting you. Like, that wouldn't be, like, they wouldn't need compelling for that. Like, if there's a party, they'll, they'll probably be there. But what they needed compelling would have been believing that this wealthy man who's of, of high esteem, maybe even a king, we don't, we don't know from this, that he invited them. They would have needed convincing that they were, they were those who were like too wretched, too unclean, poor. And now the social relations of the, the host who invited them has like totally shifted and there's no qualifications. They would have needed convincing that the host is saying, there's room. There's, I've, I've come, I've sent my messenger to you to tell you that there's room and you are invited and you're welcome. The kingdom banquet is available to all. It is an open invitation to the greatest party, a celebration of a great wedding feast of the Lamb of God with no cover charge other than the one that's already been paid by the host himself, Christ Jesus. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, like verse 15, right? A true statement, one that would be felt by those who were in the inclusion at that point. But the men at the table seated with Jesus didn't get it. They didn't understand what kind of attendance there would be at that messianic banquet. And we see in the book of Revelation a picture of this banquet. We kind of talked about how it's, it's not just a parable, but it's a broader uh, theme in the scriptures. So we go to Revelation 19. It'll be on the screen. Um, and verse 6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. We go down to verse 9, it says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Sounds familiar, right? And he said to, and he said to me, These are the true words of God. It's a great multitude. A great multitude that's there. Yet those Jesus was referring to were the excluded. And they, if they would not repent. That leads us to our final point. We've seen those who are the unexpected inclusion. And now we see the unexpected exclusion. So who are those that, that were excluded? Two ways we see the excluded here. One, there are those who thought too highly of themselves. Those with the willingness to miss the banquet shows how little they valued the host, the one who invited them. They had a higher view of themselves than they did God. They put themselves in the place of God that they, sh they should have rightly put the, the holy God Almighty. Two, those who thought too highly of the gifts, kind of like we talked about with the illustration. We think about those two, like the two-part invite, right, in the parable. The first is the verbal commitment, Right? It's like one thing to commit to something, but then there's another thing to commit to the second invite and actually be there. To have your presence there says much more. Someone who accepted the, the second invite when the servant came and said, the banquet's ready, like, right, they would have dropped whatever, and they would have like, given up what they had. They committed to this. They're going to this banquet because it's going to be the, the opportunity of a lifetime. But rather what we see in those who were excluded was that they, when they were asked to come, 
They were told that the banquet was ready. They were nowhere to be found. This is, in a way, to draw parallels. It's, it's to call in the name of Jesus, but not truly be about it. To be more concerned with the desires of this life and the cares of the world. To be consumed with the pleasures and pursuits of today. Perhaps accepting Christ in the first place to profit from the host. Because there's something that you've perceived to be gained from it. I'll add that to my repertoire. Follow Jesus, he'll make me successful or whatever it might be. In heaven, there, there's going to be a great multitude, but it won't be the attendance that many expected. To the true born-again believer, like, we don't have to wonder too much, right? We don't have to, we can have great confidence, actually. But what's the grounds of our confidence? The grounds of the confidence of those Pharisees that are listening was their own merit. It was their lineage. It was their adherence to the law. Pharisees spoke with pride and they had confidence in themselves. But I want us to look at one more passage to see like, what this, this true banquet will be like. We've read the, the parable that points to this true banquet. We've read in Revelation a piece of that. We've got a picture of, of what that's recorded, the, the, the banquet to come. Now I want to go backwards in our Bible to the, the book of Isaiah, chapter 25. We're going to see one more picture of this great day. Chapter 25, 6 through 9. It says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of, age, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that, swallowed, that, that spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. In heaven at the marriage banquet of the Lamb, all who will be there will want to be there. All who will be there will have no business being there. And all who will be there will be right where they're supposed to be. Not because of what they've done or the qualifications that they bring to the table, but because God brought them there. The gift giver himself invites them to the banquet. And we can be those rejoicing in the greatness of God Almighty, who swallowed up the covering of sin that covered all of the earth, all of mankind, the Son of God who absorbed the judgment and the wrath that all of us deserved upon himself, that we deserved, and he, he took it on the cross that we might be able to be in attendance at that banquet, that we might be the included. <coughs> he paid our way. The one who swallowed up death forever, who wipes away every tear, takes away the brokenness and sin that's ruined this world. There's some incredible gifts that God gives us, and uh, like I, they're, they're good things we should enjoy in this life, but I pray that we might not be those that are like gripping so tightly to them and the things that we, we make for our plans, that we reject the invitation. The greatest exclusion of all time actually took place and, and, and happened to the one who's sharing this parable, 
right? As Jesus was excluded, he was sent outside the city of Jerusalem where he was crucified, mocked and scorned, forsaken by the Father himself. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was excluded so that we might be forgiven. His blood was shed that we might be included. He was excluded so that we, like the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, might have an open invitation to this great banquet with no cover charge, where the blind will see, the poor will have plenty, the lame will run, and the the sinner will now be a saint and singing the glory of God. Like Isaiah recorded, Behold, this is our God. We've waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. This is that second invitation. He's coming. We, we wait with eager anticipation. We look back on the things that this God has done for us. And we rejoice in that. And we say, this is our Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Christ was excluded so that we could be included. And that produces a humility and a confidence in us that we have a seat at the table, not because of what we've done, but simply because of what Christ has done. I pray that that's true of all of us tonight as we reflect on this passage and, and we see the goodness of God in that. So let's pray. Lord God, we rejoice in your salvation. Salvation that's not by anything we bring to the table, but only by the blood that you shed that gives us a seat at the table. We, we thank you that you've been so merciful to us, that we were, wherever we were, whether we come from that Pharisee mindset where we are stuck in our self-righteousness, or we are consumed with the things of this world and think we don't need it. But the day that that comes, we reject it because we're consumed in the things that are the, the pleasures or the pursuits of this life. We thank you that while we were in that, you died for us. Your hands were stretched upon that cross as if to welcome us into this banquet feast. Lord, I pray for uh, repentant hearts as we longingly look forward to that day and rejoice in your goodness and grace, which gives us a seat. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. For more information about Salt Company, you can visit saltcedarfalls.com.